HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane certified label really means. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Yeah, I'm still like not clear on what the quintessential Gen Z foods are. So I think that that's a little bit like the point is that millennials grew up with these crazy like infomercial snacks. Like you had your Dunkaroos, you know, things that that followed that. And then there is this like push to not be eating like really processed foods, like really big box foods. And I think that like Gen Z doesn't have staples, but has options. And I think that's a really like big, big, it's a whole fast casual thing, honestly. You know, people don't have a set menu. They have their choices and they can customize and like, oh, there's like 12 different options for lunch today, not just chicken nuggets, you know? Ah, Gen Z. The young generation has garnered lots of curiosity as of late. Gen Zers are starting to see an influx of both criticism and admiration. Some say they're obsessed with social media or that they're rejecting certain values that previous generations held dear. One thing's for sure, Gen Z has grown up in a time of uncertainty. Their childhoods were marked by the attacks on the World Trade Center, their formative years by the stock market crash in 2008, and now they're preparing to start their adult lives and careers amid a pandemic. 
So it makes sense that Gen Z is at the forefront of using social media to bring about social change. We have a handful of Gen Zers on the Meet and 3 team, so we've been having a lot of interesting conversations about what truly defines their generation. This week, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is unique, especially compared to us, their millennial predecessors, in the ways they shop for, consume, and learn about food and drink. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meet and 3. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. For our first story this week, Will Hartman comes to terms with his identity as a Gen Zer and discusses the differences that he observes between them and millennials. All right, I admit it. I've been trying to hide this for as long as I could, but I'm in Gen Z. For so long, I felt strange about it. I was born in 99 and swore to myself that I was a 90s kid. As I've gotten older, I've realized that people who were born between 96 and 2000 occupy a curious space. We're not the kids that advertisers marketed to during reruns of Invader Zim or Recess, but we also weren't raised with iPads and TikTok. I spoke with my brother and his good friend, both of whom were born in 96, about, let's say, defining issues. Candidly, I think that if you can remember 9-11, you're a millennial. I think for me, 9-11 is a bigger memory. Just because the financial crisis like wasn't, it's more of like a long process of like the economy failing and then rebuilding, whereas like 9-11 just kind of happened in a split second. A few real millennials have brought up to me that simply remembering the financial crisis as opposed to entering the job market during it is one of the defining differences between Heartland millennials and cuspers. One thing remains clear to me. Not only did the world change in between when my brother and I were making our first memories, but priorities in food changed as well. I was probably about 13 or 14 when my mom started buying health foods for our snack drawer. But when I was a little kid, we had a lot of Gushers. Like, a lot, a lot of Gushers. The vibrantly colored and widely marketed snacks of the 90s are the stuff of legend. However, health became more of a consideration in snacking and cereal through the early 2000s. When I was growing up, the commercials highlighted different aspects. The Honey Nut Cheerio Bee wouldn't announce how sweet and delicious his cereal was, but would discuss the various health benefits your child could gain by eating just one bowl. I think it's more about like the culture of the brand when you're talking about targeting kids, because like a kid does not know what fiber is. He well, he cares that the Cookie Crisp guy is like cool and hip. Regardless of whether you're a cusping millennial or an early Gen Zer, you're likely to have very strong opinions about the foods that were marketed to you as a child. Well, the Ritz ones, those still exist. You can still buy really? those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're out there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't hold a candle. That's just the same That's just the same delivery system, but it's not Dunkaroos. The brands that frequented the airwaves during our childhoods have a special place in our heart. But something we realized during our conversation was that all we could remember about some of these was their commercials, and not even the products they were selling. Apple Jacks had the best commercials. Yeah, Apple Jacks was good. Yeah. Apple Jacks had great commercials. Pop-Tarts has the best. But what was up with them even saying Apple in them? There weren't... Apple wasn't even part of the flavor profile. Yeah, it was. The green, green ones. Does, yeah. 
the green ones were it was bad marketing because the apple was a red apple but the green jacks wow. were apple flavored and the red ones were cinnamon flavored wow I, I spent, I thought I, it was too late for me to ask, honestly. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to go my whole life not knowing <laughs> one way or another. To all my Cusper friends out there, you're not alone. And if you feel lonely in your generation, my suggestion is to go to your nearest convenience store, rate it for Gushers, and instantly be transported back to a simpler time. Next up, Tosh Kimmel explores why Gen Z is drinking less than the generations before them. As a millennial, I remember Four Loco, the sickly sweet caffeine-infused malt liquor, being the coolest drink an underage teen could get their hands on. Known for its ban on college campuses around the country, Four Loco was, and perhaps still is, the ultimate symbol of debauchery. While it's important to note that not all millennials have destructive or unhealthy relationships with alcohol, there was undoubtedly a culture of binge drinking present in the party scenes I grew up in. However, as hard seltzers like White Claw take over as the darlings of casual drinking, it's clear the culture is shifting. The cult-like popularity of these low-alcohol, low-calorie drinks signal a departure from previous generations' affinity for unhinged intoxication, giving way to a more self-aware, health-conscious attitude towards drinking. I rarely ever drink, and if I do, it's usually not because I really want to. It's because I'm, like, doing it socially or just feel like I should be, I should have, like, a drink in hand. But I was, like, sober up until, I'd say, like, sophomore year of college. That's James Warner, a 22-year-old Gen Zer from Los Angeles. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X, viewing like my sisters getting like trashed and being like really realistically trashed, not like fun like in a rom-com when they're like a little tipsy and flirting or like people going like crazy at like a frat party or whatever. It was like my sister like hunched over a toilet, vomiting. And I was like, wow, that's so real. (laughs) I really don't want to, I don't want to be in that position myself. In a recent study by Berenberg University, researchers concluded that Generation Z is drinking 20% less per capita than their millennial counterparts did in their teens and early 20s. This makes James one of many choosing not to partake in the often excessive drinking habits of previous generations. I'm also someone with like a lot of anxiety. So the thought of like not quite knowing what I'm doing or not being fully in control of my actions is something that it's not even like unappealing. It's just like not uh, an option for me. James is not alone in citing his anxiety and a fear of losing control as a factor in his choice to live a near sober lifestyle. In fact, the desire to remain in control seems to be a theme in the identity of James and his peers. One of those peers is 22-year-old East Coast native David Gabriel. I feel like it is really about control for me and and like safe situations are the only situations where I'll drink. And I think around senior year of high school, I started to feel like it just started to feel too messy to me, the whole culture of drinking. It definitely coincided with when I went to college. I had just been hearing horror stories of just like 
drinking enabling behavior that was I didn't want to be a part of it and I also didn't want to be too drunk to like witness it it didn't feel safe the tumultuous economic and political landscape which colored Gen Z's childhood has led some to speculate about the outlets they've clung to for control social media is one catalyst in this generational trend as it offered Gen Zers the ability to regain control in at least one aspect of their lives their image however this sense of control can quickly turn into its own addiction. Though Gen Z has moved away from drinking, perhaps their vices have only changed shape. The endless consumption spurred on by social media's infinite scroll is its own real and often detrimental compulsion. It seems like other things have taken the place of alcohol addiction. For me, at least, there's other things that I would say I'm addicted to that aren't drugs or alcohol that kind of are similarly harmful though like instagram or social media that hinders my sleep like i don't get good rest because of instagram and tiktok and stuff like that because i just can't break myself away from it while millennials are known to imbibe in beer and liquor gen z too has its tools for disengaging from reality coming of age in a dramatically different world than the generations before them they are subject to their own vices and as a generation who continually breaks the mold, it's no surprise that drinking is losing its grip as the quote-unquote fun and cool pastime it once was. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a brief break. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. We're looking inside the farm certification process, beginning with the moment a farmer expresses interest in becoming American Humane Certified, all the way to a consumer seeing the seal on store shelves. And American Humane is our country's first national humane organization, founded way back in 1877. Now we certify nearly 1 billion farm animals each and every year. Despite that growth, uh, roughly 90% of U.S. farm animals are still raised without the benefit of independently verified science-based standards. Subscribe to Behind the Label with American Humane wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Meet and 3. When we talk about Gen Z, it would be remiss not to mention the newest social media craze, TikTok. TikTok is a short-form video platform that has given rise to a whole new generation of trends and stars. Emily Kunkel takes a deeper dive into the app and the food trends that are popping up on it. For those of us who remember Vine, TikTok is like Vine's younger sister that became way more popular and successful. While this overshadowing is partly due to Vine's shutdown in 2016, TikTok has a fully-blown influencer economy on its side. These videos are fast and choppy and can be as short as 5 seconds. They're built for mass consumption and replication. TikTok is most famous for its dance videos, but has also given rise to a number of food trends such as Dalgona coffee, 
an aesthetically whipped instant coffee variation, and pancake cereal, aka mini pancakes and milk. The videos don't quite give you the tools to actually make these recipes in your own kitchen. So then what are they really for? Yeah, and that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds. I feel like in order to correctly make the recipe or in order to actually reproduce a dish, you need like a 15-minute walkthrough. That's my friend Jacqueline. She's a Gen Zer who just graduated from Princeton University where she studied media theory. Jacqueline has her own ideas about what might be behind TikTok's huge spike in popularity. Oh, I do think it's absolutely about uh, being trendy. You have to do something kind of crazy in order to get clicks and get views. Maybe if you're going to learn how to make spaghetti and meatballs, that's not exactly the most exciting or innovative dish. Um, so I think people who are wanting to learn more traditional dishes go ahead and watch like a Rachel Ray, a classic cooking show. Um, whereas people who are maybe looking for fast validation and sort of like a hit of dopamine and being like, ah, what are these crazy new recipes um, might be more focused on While TikTok. this hit of dopamine, as she puts it, has been central to social media since its conception, it's also not new to the food world. This short style of recipe video was first popularized with BuzzFeed's Tasty videos in 2015. Oh my god, wait, this is, this also seems like a really, um, it seems like the natural progression of the Tasty video, which, you know, is like a minute long, and they're like, okay, it's so simple. Like, first you like mince this garlic perfectly, and then you've, of course, cooked a steak perfectly medium rare, and then you just put it all together, and it takes two seconds, and then you have creme brulee. And uh, I feel that the food TikToks follow that trend as well of effortless perfection, like the veneer of effortless perfection. I see right through your minced garlic and perfectly medium rare steak the natural progression of garlic and perfectly cooked steak to creme brulee. For Jacqueline, TikTok's short form doesn't quite appeal. Luckily, social media has incentivized reposting or making your own version of someone else's video. This increases likes for the original poster, but also for the person sharing the video. For social media influencers, more likes means more followers. High numbers of followers often correlate to sponsorship deals or free merchandise. For TikTok, this commonly results in the repackaging of content for different platforms, such as a longer YouTube compilation video or Instagram post. So I have never watched food TikToks on TikToks, the platform. I've only ever watched cooking TikToks on YouTube where people will make commentary videos of themselves actually trying to make the TikTok recipes like Dalgona coffee and such. And typically those are 20 minutes and they range from things that are kind of quirky, but do seem like they'd be delicious. Um, like Flaming Hot Cheetos crusted chicken to things that just sound absolutely disgusting. And I'm more like hate watching the person on YouTube eat for example, cotton candy flavored ramen. So next, I thought it could be fun if we watched some TikToks together. Okay. So I'm sending you a compilation video. If we go to 
like six and a half minutes there's literally just like five seconds of this woman eating a big slice of pizza and i got nothing out of it i mean you can tell me what you got out of it i also noticed a few interesting things that i'll comment on here um the first of which being the proliferation of the thirst trap on tiktok like the subtle highlighting of like oh this TikTok is about me walking my dog, but it's also about how nice my butt looks in these jeans. I'm not even going to attempt to say this in an intelligent way. Um, I like looking at tasty looking food made by tasty looking people. <laughs> As Jacqueline later points out, these videos are really just appetite wetters. You're not meant to replicate the recipe in your own kitchen. You're meant to follow the person who posted the video, click on a food blogger's recipe, then post your own picture. The video itself is just like everything else on social media. It's an advertisement for a product, a lifestyle, or a brand. Planted firmly in the middle of Gen Z is a group of teens who just graduated from high school. For our final story this week, we go to an episode of Tech Bites recorded earlier this summer. Host Jin Liutzi welcomed three members of the class of 2020 to talk about how they're coping with a big life transition amid a global pandemic. Today, we are taking a look at the future, talking with the recent graduates of Food and Finance High School in New York City. They have just graduated a few days ago in a kind of weird virtual live stream Zoom thing that I don't think anybody really anticipated, and we are having a conversation led by Naya Rivers with her classmates now, just friends and graduates, Kayla Jenkins and Romeo Malpica. <laughs> <laughs> because graduation was canceled, what was going on in your heads during that time? Basically, graduation not happening kind of put me in like uh, a little, I don't know, put me in a rut. Yeah. It was just it was just rough all around because I think what made school like tolerable was that immediate social interaction. So what are your plans now? Like graduation happened. You all celebrated in your own way. I'm just ordering stuff <laughs> online for school. <laughs> like that's the best I could do right now. Just like little things to get prepared. At this point, it's like. I'm done with planning. I can't really plan anything out anymore. All of these curveballs from this year. You all went to the Food and Finance High School in New York City, which is to prepare students for going to work in the restaurant industry. And um, I would be curious to know um, for all of you which colleges you're going to and what you're going to study and if you still plan on going into the restaurant industry at this point. <laughs> I do still plan on going into the restaurant industry um, in fall, I'll be attending Monroe College for Culinary Arts and Hospitality Management. How about you, Kayla? So, yeah, I kind of want to be in the restaurant business. And I'm going to Paulson's College for Culinary Arts slash Culinary Management. How about you, Romeo? Uh, yeah. Same here. Uh, I'm very much invested in uh, doing culinary arts and going to the restaurant business. That's fantastic. So none of the crazy situation from the world today has has diverted you from your goals of being a part of the restaurant world, which is fantastic that you've all maintained the course of, you know, what you what you want to do. 
Before we close out the show, does anybody have uh, a last thing that they want to say that they make sure they share with everybody? The only thing I really have to say is you can't plan everything. Look at how 2020 is going. Um, A lot of people go into things with an idea and the best situations come from like when you wing it sometimes. So don't be so meticulous, especially when you're enjoying the best parts of life, you know? If you'd like to hear more of this conversation, you can check out episode 211 of Tech Bites. And to learn more about the unique culinary curriculum at Food and Finance High School, go to foodfinancehs.org. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks this week to Will Hartman, Tosh Kimmel, and Emily Kunkel. Meet in Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet in Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet in Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or just want to say hello, you can write to us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. <laughs>